This is Bucket Listening from First Horizon Bank, sharing first-hand stories from people who have found a way every day to live their bucket list. Everyone has aspirations. Often people see them as goals to be accomplished sometime down the road. But we say, why wait? Welcome to Bucket Listening, where we're talking to amazing people who have found a way every day to live their bucket life. Hi, I'm your host, Tabitha Scott, and I'm so excited that you all could join us for this episode. On the show today, we have a fascinating guest, the president and CEO of CAN Community Health, Dr. Rishi Patel. Through hard work and dedication, he's led a highly acclaimed career and built a beautiful bucket list life, crediting much of that success to the unwavering work ethic instilled in him by his parents. But what really excited Rishi was the idea that he could put sweat equity into something greater than himself. And so began his journey to find purpose at Can, a medical provider specializing in helping people with sexually transmitted diseases. For Rishi, every stop along the way held value in his becoming a highly successful businessman. It's a mindset he brings to fulfilling his life's aspirations and creating a great life for his family and for the many patients whose lives have been positively touched by his work. And along with Rishi, we also have the pleasure of being joined by Eric Vogt. Eric is the Senior Vice President and Commercial Relationship Manager at First Horizon, and he's worked closely with Rishi to ensure that he has the tools and the knowledge to get the most out of this life. Rishi and Eric, welcome to Bucket Listening. Good morning, Tabitha. Thanks for having us. Yeah, good morning, Tabitha. So Rishi, I'm going to start with you. For many of us, family is paramount, and I know that you credit much of your life to your parents. How have those values instilled in you helped you find your calling? Well, Tabitha, it started just growing up in a small town in England. Actually, I was born in Leicester, England. My parents were both factory workers. And back in the day, you had to work those tough hours and those tough conditions. And my parents always looked to have a better life for themselves and for my brother and I and decided to move to the United States. And coming to the United States, two suitcases that we came with and our shirts on our backs. And, and my dad ended up buying a motel in a small town in Texas. We were owner-operator, cleaning crew. We were night shift. We were everything. And it was the values that they had taught me just by getting up every morning to work really hard to clean the rooms, to make the beds and continue working because we had to survive. It was always survival. And, you know, just learning those skills, just really just making sure that we were doing the best we could with whatever we had was really what really kind of got to me. And of course, you go to school and you go to college and you kind of goof around after school. But once you actually have a calling and once you have a job that you enjoy, that's when the career starts kicking in and that hard work really starts to persevere and makes you the person who you are. I love that. And I love how they helped position you for that hard work ethic. And also, if you work hard, there are rewards. Absolutely. That's exactly what it was. We would work hard during the week. And then at the end of the week, we would tap into the Coca-Cola machine that was uh, at the motel and get all the coins out so we can have pizza and you know some Coke. And that was our treat for the week. Those types of rewards 
they're so small, but they mean so much as you get older and when you become an adult and when you have your own family and you're trying to do the best things for your family. Yeah. And when we spoke before, I found it interesting that you had this perspective about missteps. People often see parts of their journey that didn't work out as missteps. And you've talked about how all of your experiences, both positive and negative, have value and how they've helped shape you into the person that's passionate as an advocate and an asset to can. Could you give us an example from your past that illustrates this perspective and what we can do to learn from that perspective instead of our own mindset of perfectionism? Yeah, absolutely. Nobody's perfect. Decisions are made for you. And sometimes you make those decisions. And really, it's what you do after those decisions have been made or what you've made really defines you as a person. There are so many different missteps that have happened in my lifetime. But the one I just recalled the most is I went to University of Florida for my undergraduate degree, Go Gators. Graduated University of Florida with my bachelor's and I wanted to go to pharmacy school at the University of Florida. And I applied and unfortunately I didn't get in. I was heartbroken, thought I was going to be a Gator for life, including all of my careers. And fortunately, I applied to other schools so I can get into another school. And thinking back at it, I wouldn't be in the position that I am today if that decision didn't happen for me. But sometimes you make decisions, good ones and bad ones, and and you have to live with them. But it's how you react to them and how you persevere from those decisions that make you the person who you are. I could have easily have just folded and said, I'm not going to pharmacy school. I don't want to go to another school or I'm not going to, I don't want to be a gator anymore. There are so many decisions that could have been made, but just just continue to work hard and, and do the best you can with what you have. Yeah, I love that. And I don't think people understand that the no's are just as important as the yeses. Absolutely. Just what you're saying, because you know what doesn't work and then you can move faster in the direction that you want to go. I love that. Thank you. You don't give up. I don't want to say, you know, people shouldn't give up when they get a no, but the no is just a, a redirection in life and your path is still forward. It's just a different path. Absolutely. And it's crazy. We see between five and 10,000 ads a day now, all these distractions coming in and life is hectic and chaotic. How do you cut through that noise and understand what's really important in your life and your work? I owe it all to time management. There's so many things that come to you in so many different directions, but it, it honestly, it is managing time. And I think the greatest thing that I learned from my college years at University of Florida was how to manage my time. I didn't do very well my freshman and sophomore year at Florida. I didn't do well at all. And my dad gave me a choice the summer between my sophomore and junior year. And he said, look, you have this summer to prove yourself. If not, you're coming back home and you're going to come to community college. And I didn't want to go back home and come to community college. And I ended up finishing up my years at University of Florida with a 4-0 every semester. And I was able to understand how to manage time where I I knew when I needed to study. I knew when I needed to go home. I knew when I needed to hang out with friends. I knew when I needed to you know go out and blow some steam off at a bar because it is college life. But it was managing time that really made the difference for me moving forward. I get a thousand things thrown at me, Tabitha, every day. And it's just cutting through what's priority number one and then moving down the list. Absolutely. And I want to talk a little bit about your role with giving patients hope in what can be some of the most fearful times of their life. 
when you think about the mission of CAN and how it aligns with your personal values to inspire hope and help both your patients and the community at large, could you say a little bit more about that? We talked about that a few weeks ago, and it really resonated with me and has stuck with me how important this cause is. Yeah. At the end of the day, we're all human beings. We're here to help each other with no matter what circumstances we're facing. And that's regardless of age, gender, sexual preference, veteran status, et cetera, or ability to pay. Our goal at CAN is to provide a continuum of care for those living with sexually transmitted diseases so they can live a normal life and be in care, stay in care, be engaged in their care. A lot of times people tend to take services for granted when they have them available to them, they don't get them, or when they don't have them available, they don't even know where to seek them. Our goal at CAN is to make sure that we're seeking every single individual that needs our care so we can get them into care. And once they're in care, we link them and we keep them in care. That's so important. And there have been so many obstacles removed over the last couple of decades with STDs that were not so great in the past and it's getting better and better. And you're part of that evolution of care and education in the communities. I think that's really, really important as we go along. Absolutely. Education is the best prevention. And we have to go out and educate every individual out there from teens all the way up to individuals that are in their 70s and 80s that are maybe newly widowed and living in a condo association where they may not think that they may be vulnerable to this disease. So it's important that we go and make sure that we educate as much as possible and really let people know that it's still there. The medicines and treatment and care have been advanced tremendously. And I think there's a lack of focus on that just because of the fact that there has been an advance in technology and medicine. Today, it's more of, oh, it's not a big deal. I can just take a pill once a day. Keep in mind that it's still a burden on your body, and we still want to take individuals into care and, and keep them in care. Tabitha, one of the things I'd like to mention is how much CAN has invested effort into outreach. I mean, they really use a lot of unique ways to try and get to populations that otherwise are not in urban markets where there's more access to healthcare. That's fantastic, Eric. And I'd like to dive into that just a little bit deeper. Thank you for bringing that up. What are some of the things that you could say to people who are afraid of having the conversation, or maybe it's parents in a certain region that are in complete denial that their teen might be exposed to these things, what would you say to those populations to open the conversation and dialogue? Well, that's a great question, Tabitha. First of all, we have to acknowledge that stigma and discrimination is still there when it comes to individuals living with HIV. So it is having just discussions like this and educating individuals, look, we're here to help. It takes a community, right? It takes churches. It takes the LGBT community. It takes the school systems. It takes the government. It takes everybody to really make an impact because that's the only way we're going to make a difference is if we're all working on it together. That's so true. Growing up, we would go to listen to gospel singing, different quartets singing in different churches. And the man who taught me in large part inspired me to play the piano ended up getting AIDS and passing away. And then back in the 80s, they called them his roommate. And today we would say his partner passed six months later. But back in those days, the stigma was so thick and so heavy. And 
the grief of that loss and the way people reacted when they learned he had AIDS, this is a cause that's really close to my heart. And our family, thanks to people like you and the work you're doing to get the word out with Eric and the support of the bank. I just really appreciate what you do. Thank you, Tabitha. Yes, we've made a lot of progress, but there's still so much more progress to be made. Yeah, that's right. Well, this is one of those cases where doing well by doing good has worked out in a positive way. And I know that you share a lot back with the community as you go on with success with this company. I'd like to shift gears a little bit and talk about your bucket life and your bucket list. Is it something that's ongoing and you add to it as you go? Or is it something that you have a few big things in your life you really aspired to? Talk to us about your bucket list. I have to be honest with you. I've already maxed out my bucket list because how I was raised and how the the environment I was raised with, with my parents and to where I am today, I couldn't be more grateful. Not only do I have a beautiful wife, beautiful kids, beautiful home, I have a wonderful job. The job is absolutely amazing. And it makes me feel when you wake up in the morning and you're excited to go to work, that is a great job. And I am extremely lucky and grateful to have that job. Plus, working with individuals like Eric and and our entire executive team, our entire company, and and just meeting individuals across the United States, including yourself, Tabitha, I couldn't ask for anything more. I go on vacations. I do this. I do that. But I've already maxed out my bucket list. I don't have anything else. I mean, (laughs) it's amazing. I could say I want to go to Alaska or I want to go to Africa and stuff. But from a personal perspective, there's nothing else that I need for my bucket because it's already been fulfilled with just my career and my my life and my family. I love it. Your bucket runneth over, which is it good. It does. So Eric, let's talk about you for a second. You work with a lot of commercial businesses and have a lot of relationships and help people achieve their bucket list. But what about you? Is there anything on your wish list that you haven't done yet or something you'd like to share that you've already checked off of your bucket list? So I have successfully gotten two kids through school now. And so my wife and I and my two adult children are starting to travel more. We want to do a lot more travel. We're going to Prague and Vienna in September. My daughter just went to Greece yesterday. She's in Greece today having a great time. So at any rate, that's my main bucket list. My daughter and I are both taking up golf. I used to play golf and gave it up for a number of years. Now I'm starting to play again. And the three of us are planning on going to Ireland next year as our next trip. So until they get married and have their own families, I'm taking advantage of two great kids that are now entering their adult life and enjoying the time with them. Well, Eric, you are welcome to adopt me if you'd like. And <laughs> me too, Eric. Send- <laughs> I will go to Greece if you really want me to and if you pay for it. Uh, yeah. That one I didn't pay for, but. <laughs> well, um, Eric, I have more questions for you. For clients like Rishi who are really driven to serve, how do you come alongside them and Just be that resource that helps open new doors and evaluate the opportunities. And how do you help build that positive momentum? How do you know which things to choose and, you know, what comes first? So give us the scoop. Well, so my clients come from a very wide range of financial aptitude and interest. And so in some cases, 
I've got agricultural clients who really don't pay attention to the Wall Street Journal or interest rates or the economy the way we're thinking of it as finance people. And then I've got other clients like Rishi, who has a whole team of people in his accounting department and finance department, and they have the time and resources to really try and optimize their financing. So my job is to meet the client where they're at, not talking above them, not talking below them, and then give them access to information and access to capital. So even the CFOs, I know that their role a lot of times covers HR, it covers all kinds of things. And so they're not necessarily in tune to the daily movement of interest rates and and how to minimize the cost of capital, maximize the efficiency of their financing. So in the case of Rishi's company, they're a sophisticated company and need the bank to be able to deliver sophisticated products. And we're able to do that. We have other clients that really need very basic information, very basic help, and don't want to be overwhelmed with more about banking than they need to know. Yeah. I don't think about those peripheral aspects of banking and not to diverge too far with this, but everybody thinks about, well, I need a loan and I need a business plan, but you said something that really sparked an interest in me. So you can actually connect them with other aspects of business or maybe other businesses that can help them out. That's pretty cool. Yeah. I mean, I've introduced people to companies that they've bought. I've helped companies find different vendors. In the case of Rishi, I've helped them refinance debt. So they already had the capital they needed, but it wasn't optimized. I mean, they could save a lot of money and really put that money back into their mission if they tweaked their financing. And that's the last transaction we did. Now that required bringing more banks in because it was it was a large transaction. And so we had to be able to explain his business to other banks without bogging his resources down. I mean, they obviously had a big part of telling the can story, but if they had to tell that story to 15 banks to find three or four that wanted to partner in this, that'd be exhausting. I mean, it'd be take their eye off the ball. I have to chime in here and Tabitha, because Eric has been, I've known Eric for almost six years now. And Eric has gone through the good and bad for our organization. And he stuck through it with us from every single portion of it, from the time we met him. And individuals like Eric are individuals that I am grateful for because I wouldn't be sitting here in the seat if it wasn't for Eric. And when Eric comes to Can with information that he's not coming there to pitch a sale or give us more money just so that way he can have more interest or any of that stuff. It's more of what is the best thing for your organization and how can we make this better? So what you're saying is he doesn't give you a canned response. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. No pun intended. No, absolutely. And I think including my CFO, Mary Lifflin, and our entire accounting team, our entire executive team, including our even our board, we're extremely grateful for Eric and First Horizon for what they've been able to do with us and and really just stick with us and help us through this, not only transactions, but just we're a large company. And when you have resources like Eric, that's who you need on your side. Yeah, I love that. That's really awesome. And Eric, I want to ask you, because the economy has kind of tightened up in recent months and you have a portfolio of businesses you're working with, are there 
consistencies across the board that Rishi experiences, but maybe others are experiencing as well. And, you know, how do you deal with that? Yeah. So pretty much everybody has the same issue with labor, you know, finding good people, rising cost of personnel. Then you have businesses, you know, so a lot of my customers have to source materials and for them, managing inventory is, has become a moving target. Now it's about stockpiling inventory and trying to make sure that you're hedging the price. I mean, it's uh, a lot of businesses have become more complicated as the world is globalized. But honestly, I have very few customers that are saying that they're struggling or that are showing us financials that are struggling. Other than margin compression, you know, the rising costs that they're not able to pass on the customers, that is really the only negative trend that most of our customers have had. Now, I think businesses have learned over the cycles, you know, and people have tried to be conservative on their leverage as they, you know, came to, you know, we've been in a good time for a long time. When COVID hit, by the time COVID really started kind of going away, they were sitting on some liquidity. I mean, yeah, a lot of, a lot of businesses did far better than they expected Again, especially in Florida. I mean, I don't know if Rishi can talk to that because he's outside of Florida and probably saw different things in different places. Yeah, and that's a great point, Eric. From our standpoint, we continue to do really well, and that's with assistance with individuals like Eric. Even across all the states that we're in, the labor market is probably the toughest. That was the toughest, finding good people at a wage that is market-related. There are those factors that are outside of control of our organization that you have to work with. And that's where the margin reduction comes into place. And what you have to do is pivot. You have to be agile. You have to be flexible. And you have to just make sure that you're ready to move and you're ready to change on a dime's notice. Because that's exactly what, what happened with COVID. People had to change and be agile and be flexible. If you didn't, you were one of those businesses that did not succeed. Yeah, absolutely. Is there any advice that you received, Rishi, when either when you were growing up or maybe in your business that has really resonated and maybe as time goes on, it becomes more true every day? I say this to my executive team quite often. When it comes to a business, you have to look at the bottom line, right? Let's just face it. You have to look at the bottom line. The way I kind of restate that is when you look at the services and the quality of services that you're providing, the bottom line will follow. If you focus on the bottom line, you're going to forget why you're there and what the mission's for. So focus on the quality of care, focus on the customer service, focus on those aspects, because then the bottom line follows. I agree with that. When you constantly focus on your bottom line, you forget why you're there. And we are mission related. And if we can continue to focus on our services and engaging individuals and bringing them into care, the bottom line just follows right after that. I love it. And I really appreciate the advice <laughs> from both of you today. Good takeaways. Can we play a quick game before I let you go? Sure. All right. This is called This or That. And Rishi, I'm going to hit you up. And then Eric... We'll do you right after. So if you had to decide between seeing a new place for the first time or learning a new skill, what would you pick and what or where would it be? 
I've been around the world, been fortunate enough to have been around the world uh, through my parents and my own self. I would definitely want to pick up a skill. And this uh, skill is playing the guitar. I would love to play the guitar. I picked up the guitar when I was in uh, college a little bit, messed around with it, but never got to, you know too good at it. I'd love to be able to just pick up a guitar and play along with any song that comes on the radio or play with my kids and play with my wife and have a little small family karaoke or if you're on a boat or just on the beach and just pull out a guitar and play. It just it, music brings people together and that's uh, it's a great feeling. I love that. I love it. Eric, how about you? Jeez, I think it'd be go to a place. I would like to go play golf at Pebble Beach. That would probably be my favorite thing right now. Nice. That would be fun. It's beautiful out there. Yes. All right. So, Eric, I'm going to have you go first this time. Would you rather be the smartest person in the world or the richest and why? <laughs> oh, my. Yeah, that's I, a tough one. Yeah. Actually, I think I'd prefer to be the richest. I think that there's a lot of good that can be done with financial resources, a lot of good to the world. If you're the smartest person in the world, there's a lot of good you can do as well. But I think being able to provide for achieving goals rather than having to figure it all out by being the smartest person, be able to disperse the money and let people use it. Rishi being a good example. I mean, can the more resources they have, the more people they can help, the more people they help. I mean, we didn't even talk about this, but his mission affects all of us. So, and there's other niches in the world with people like Rishi that can make a much bigger impact if they had the resources. All right. So Rishi, how about you? Brains or money? Well, just to add on to what Eric said, Eric's already the smartest person in the world. So that's why he picked <laughs> the richest. It's getting deep in here. Oh, man. So, he's already the smartest person in the world. That's why he picked the richest. I would probably pick the richest as well. There's so many incredibly smart people in the world. However, when it comes to money, there's so much you can do and, and there's so many causes that you can support. So very in line with what Eric said is just, you know, when you have the financial ability to support so many organizations, so many causes, a lot of the richest people in the world do, which is great. I believe that they could probably do more, and I'm sure they're doing a lot. It'd be great to have everybody as rich as possible so that way we can all do more. Now, Rishi, this last one for this or that is for you to go first. And I want to know if you could either see the future or change the past, which would you choose and why? Well, I definitely wouldn't change the past. I think everybody's past has it is what it is. Seeing the future, it could be good or bad. I would probably prefer neither. But if I had a choice, I'd pick the future just so I know what to expect more than anything else. Uh, changing the past for me, I don't know what I would do different that would change my projection in life because I'm pretty happy and grateful right now. That's awesome. Eric, how about you? Well, I would prefer to change the future. If I knew the future and could change it, then I would, like Rishi said, maybe the future is exactly what we want. But more than likely, if we could see the future, we could change the path and improve the future. I love it. You guys have been great today. I just want to say thank you to Rishi and Eric for joining us on the podcast today. And a really special thanks to Rishi for sharing his inspiring story and his perspective on life with us. And thanks to all of you for listening to our conversation. 
I hope you enjoyed hearing from Rishi as much as I loved speaking with him. And if you did like the show, be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. This has been Bucket Listening, presented by First Horizon Bank. I'm Tabitha Scott, and I hope you'll join us again soon.